0: My name is Nick, I'm CEO on CASA. We help people secure their Bitcoin by holding their own keys. And today, I'm going to be talking about the importance of holding your own keys. Um, I, I can start, I guess, talking about the background of, of why I, I put together this talk and, and the ideas here because I was on vacation back in February. Um, I was reading this book about the history of money and it was called, uh, money, the true story of a made up thing. It was a really interesting book. And, um, one of the things that it gave me this idea of was that we used to, when money was first invented, we used to actually self custody our money. That was like the natural way that we held our money. And then fast forward, we ended up in this position today where our money isn't truly our money and so we're we hold it in banks bank banks own that money and so how did we get to this point and what led us to this this point today where we don't own our money and so this this goes into kind of the history of banking and that's what i wanted to to dig into a little bit but to to start what do i really mean when i say that we don't actually own our money so Uh, Everybody here is likely going to be familiar with this, but there was Executive Order 6102, which back in 1933, the U.S. government actually seized U.S. citizens' gold, and, and citizens had to turn over any meaningful amount of gold that they owned. And the government was able to do this because people actually held their gold in the bank. And so instead of having to go around and knock on millions of doors around the country and say, hand over your gold, the government was just able to knock on a few doors of the banks and take the gold and convert it into dollars. And that was the end of people holding gold for at least 50 years. So gold stored in the bank wasn't truly owned by the individuals that thought they owned it. And this wasn't just something that happened 100 years ago and it's never happened again. You fast forward 2001 in Argentina during the uh, peso currency crisis the government froze everybody's bank account. And you were only allowed to withdraw a little bit from peso bank accounts every day. And you were not allowed to withdraw at all from US dollar bank accounts. And then eventually they got to the point where they forcibly converted everybody's US dollars into pesos or peso denominated bonds. And so the uh, money that people held in their bank accounts, once again, they found out this was not their money today two thousand and twenty one in lebanon they 're having one of the worst currency crises in history of the world. The Lebanese pound has actually devalued ninety percent since two thousand and nineteen and in this picture you can see on this slide, people are lining up for hours to do simple errands like get gas and so again, at times the government has restricted the amount of uh, actual money that people can pull out of their accounts and so How did we get to this point where everybody keeps their money in the bank? Let's take a little walk through history, go back 5,000 years. This was probably the first bank. It was called the uh, White Temple, and it was located in what's modern-day Iraq. And back then, people's wealth was actually their livestock and grain, and they would keep it in the temple because they believed it was protected by the gods. It was safer to have it in the temple than it was to have it on their own property. But banking has evolved a lot since then, and modern-day banking really came into existence in the 17th century. And back then, our, our money was mostly gold. So gold's rare, it looks pretty, but it has a few problems that actually make it really difficult to serve as money. And so because of this, that's what actually led to the evolution of a lot of parts of the banking system today. So what are some of these problems? The first is that it's really hard to verify the authenticity of gold from the beginning of people starting to use gold coins. They would chip little pieces off of the edges of those coins and try to keep them for themselves and then pass that coin off as still worth the same amount of value. And so that resulted in merchants having to actually weigh the coins that they were receiving from people. And it was a huge pain to transact. And then second, it was difficult to protect. If you were storing a bag of gold or silver or whatever it was in your house and somebody broke in and stole it, there wasn't much you could do to get that back unless law enforcement could find that person. It wasn't easily divisible. So this resulted in having not just gold coins, but also silver coins and copper coins and bronze coins. And so having to carry around all of these coins was a problem because they were heavy. So, this i think was probably one of the biggest factors for people in switching to using banks because they didn't like carrying this stuff around and it had some of these other problems and there was one group of people that was uniquely positioned to solve these problems they happened to already be making gold bars and gold coins and these were the goldsmiths so people said well who's already storing gold goldsmiths are here Joe Goldsmith, take my gold and give me a paper receipt. And instead, I'm going to take this paper receipt and go pay somebody with this receipt that says I own this much gold at this goldsmith. And so as more goldsmiths started taking in coins, people were started trading these receipts around. And that was an evolution of a form of paper money. And then the goldsmiths took one more step. They started lending out more paper receipts than they actually had gold in their vault and so fractional reserve lending evolved out of this and over time this really became a very highly traded form of money but it was still a pretty small and decentralized system and it was hard to regulate because how do you know that goldsmith Bob, is more trustworthy than Goldsmith Joe, and how do you know when you're taking their receipt that I can actually trust that this gold is is available for me to go take if I want it? So, this evolved into central banks, and the Bank of Amsterdam was actually the first true central bank. And one of the cool things about the Bank of Amsterdam that I learned was that they were one of the first banks, or if not the first, to really popularize internal transfers. So in Amsterdam, uh, there was a lot of merchants coming in from all over the world. And they were bringing all the different native currencies of their countries. And so it made it really hard to understand what value you should attribute to what currency. You know, they're different sized coins, they're silver, they're gold, they're bronze. And so what the government said was every every merchant has to have an account at the Bank of Amsterdam. And then uh, when you go to settle uh, transactions, you actually are just going to move numbers on the ledger at the bank. And then the bank's going to handle all the value transfer in the background. And so this made it way more convenient for merchants to transact. And as a side note, which I thought was interesting, it actually resulted in significantly less sunken treasure. So sunken treasure isn't, turns out, just something that was in Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, You actually, ships, when they would take merchants and go trade in the Spice Islands, or in, you know, different areas of the world, they would bring a bunch of gold with them, it was very dangerous, and if the ship sunk, then everybody would die and there'd be some nice sunken treasure for somebody in the future to come find. Well, the Bank of Amsterdam was so big that they actually had representatives in many different countries around the world, and so instead of having to bring gold around, you actually just made a transfer on your on your bank account at the Bank of Amsterdam. So they're why we can't have sunken treasure. So. All of this evolved over the next couple hundred years. And today, self-custody is basically unheard of in, in, our, in our fiat banking system. And yeah, you can store cash in your mattress, but nobody really wants to do this. You can't use this money in the actual financial system. And it's just, it's a pain, you know? So, within the last 10 years, this technology has come around, which has made self-custody a whole lot easier. That's Bitcoin. Bitcoin has taken self-custody and made it possible again because it made money digital in a way that you can truly own. And so if you think about it, Bitcoin has brought the relatively simple user experience of using a bank account in the digital age, like that picture on the left of a Chase Bank app, and made it very similar but allows you to hold your own keys. So look at the picture on the right. That's the Casa app. In in terms of user experience, these are very similar, but you get this huge benefit of owning your money. But how many people are actually taking advantage of this ability to self-custody Bitcoin today? A lot of people in the community lately have been talking about this trend where, if you follow the orange line there, the amount of Bitcoin held on exchanges, according to Glassnode, has gone from about 3 million Bitcoin to about 2.5 million Bitcoin over the last year and a half. And this is something to be happy about. So, uh, you know, it's, it's starting in the right direction, but if you zoom out, you can see that the amount of Bitcoin on exchanges over the last five years has gone up significantly. And we're just starting to make a dent in this, if anything. So, this is a problem, and when you dig in a little bit further, you realize that Glassnode and Metrics, some of these other guys, don't actually cover every single custodian. So it's hard to see on this chart, but they don't have in their analytics custodians like BitGo, uh, Nidig, Fidelity, Blockchain.com. These people hold a ton of Bitcoin for other institutions and people. and so. What you could argue is that maybe that downtrend is actually just institutions buying Bitcoin on exchanges and moving it to something like Fidelity or Nidig. So again, we have this problem here where we don't quite have the full picture of the data. So in order to get a better picture, we went to our evil blockchain overlords, Chainalysis. And they actually estimate that up to eight and a half million Bitcoin is held by regulated custodians today, and if you that 's that dark orange line on the chart there, and if you look, it has increased almost every single year, and so this trend is not one that we want to keep seeing and When you take into account the amount of lost bitcoin, which is the pink at the bottom, potentially sixty percent of Bitcoin is held by custodians today reverse back to the very beginning with executive order 6102. Why was that possible? Because the gold was held in bank accounts. So this is a real risk to the Bitcoin network because it makes it significantly easier for a government to come in and try to forcibly exchange Bitcoin for dollars or another currency. We have to actively work on on educating people about self-custody and and helping them to transition to that. So how, how do we do that? At CASA, we really think about this in two big buckets. So the first is the user experience. It has to be creative. It has to be simple and something that people can understand when they pick it up from from the start. And then the second piece is that you have to have the right education and you have to have the right storytelling. Because storytelling and education are really how you help people not not just understand how to do this, but why they should care about it. And the thing that we have to avoid are things like this so this is a screenshot from a bitcoin wallet out there and in the first step it says in order to set this up you need two laptops uh, 14 blank cd roms i didn't know those existed anymore a printer seven envelopes for your seed phrases and two usb sticks the average person is going to see this and be like i'm out I'm keeping my Bitcoin on Coinbase. So nobody wants to do that. We have to get better than that. So on the user experience side, One of the ways that we think about helping people get to uh, self-custody is ramp them in their um, security level and user experience based on the amount of value that they're actually storing. So on the far left side, you'll see a screenshot of just the Casa Mobile wallet. If they've got a couple hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, they don't need to be putting it on a hardware wallet, stamping their seed phrase into metal and burying it in the backyard. They can just take a simple mobile wallet, single key on their phone, feels like using Coinbase, but they're holding their own keys. And then as the value goes up of their Bitcoin that they own, or as they invest in more Bitcoin and, and buy more, you can get to a two of 3 multisig or a three of 5 multisig. And eventually you're in a position where you've got the most secure self-custody possible. Um, and it's all been uh, introduced in a very gradual way. The second thing that we really try to do is make decisions for users. So historically, Bitcoin has really been built by engineers for engineers. And engineers want every setting under the sun. They want to sit there and tinker with, here's how to make this wallet perfect and and manage every little piece of it. The average person just wants you to tell them, this is the best way to do it. And I've made this really easy for you. So thinking about that from a, a decision standpoint is important when you're designing a product like this. And then last, just think about concepts that are, are foreign to uh, people who haven't been in Bitcoin for a long time. And I think that um, Justine earlier this morning had some really good ideas around this, but explaining concepts like seed phrases, these are things that are complicated for people and you really wanna start at the basics. Um, and try to build the experience in a way that helps them ramp up it in a simple way. So on the storytelling and education side, the education educational content is important because this helps you to understand how to do it. But I think the storytelling is a piece that is the most important because the words that we use are what can actually change human behavior. And this is something that we are even trying to improve at Casa because um Using words like self-custody and multi-sig. For the average person, these they hear this and they're like, that sounds complicated. I don't think I want to mess with it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna stick with what I know. Thinking of better words and, and brainstorming these types of stories are important for us. And it's important as a community that we really think about this and try to evolve beyond what we've used what we've uh, said and used in terms of our storytelling up to this point. So just zooming out a little bit to talk about the, the history of the internet for a second here, it's been one of very you know, natural evolution of um, decentralization of power. So it's an inherently empowering technology. There's a, been a lot of historical monopolies that have actually been broken up by the internet and their power has been given to individuals, So take, as an example, publishing. It used to be that only newspapers and major cable news network companies had the megaphone, you know, had the ability to reach millions of people. Now companies like Substack and Twitter and other blogging and social media platforms have come along, made it so anybody can reach millions with a tweet. Um, Take uh, Travel. Short-term, where do I stay? I'm going to pay to stay in a hotel. Hotels used to have a monopoly on this. Suddenly Airbnb comes along and makes it so anybody can be their own hotel. Transportation. Taxis used to have a monopoly on private transportation. Uber comes along, makes it so anybody can be their own taxi. Banking has been a tightly regulated, very centralized industry for hundreds of years. And suddenly Bitcoin has come along and made it so anybody can be their own bank. What do we think is going to happen here? So you think about this and you think, okay, self-custody, it's it's pretty inevitable. Like, we we got this. But if you think back to that chain analysis chart, that's not the track that we're on today. If we do this wrong, we'll end up remaking the current banking system from the old legacy technology in the old world on top of Bitcoin and lose Bitcoin's most important benefit, which is the ability to truly own your own money. But if we do it right, there's this amazing potential future ahead of us. Because ownership of private keys doesn't necessarily stop with money. So there's three really important properties to private keys that make them great tools for digital authentication. They are unique, unguessable, and unforgeable. So, unique, no two keys are the same. Unguessable, they're impossible for somebody else to guess your key. Unforgeable, nobody else can fake that they have your key. Your key is yours and yours alone. And so this makes private keys the best form of digital authentication that we have today. When you look at how this can apply to areas beyond Bitcoin, You see that private keys will or already do secure everything that's most important to us digitally. So our money in the form of Bitcoin. But they also secure communications. Whenever you use something like Signal or WhatsApp or Sphinx Chat, private keys are what are securing and encrypting your text messages. Data. I can upload encrypted files to the clouds that only I can access them. And Identity. When, why would I use a, a username and login, or username and password to log into a website when I could have a private key that is a much better form of authentication for myself online? And so these are some of the things that Casa thinks about when we think about how the usage of private keys will evolve beyond Bitcoin. So giving people more control of these keys will, will create a better world. It's, it's one where individuals have real ownership of what matters most to them. We have to have the right education, storytelling, customer experience. Um, But if we do that, we can actually win this. We can turn this tide where the chain analysis chart starts going down in the dark orange. And CASA has made this our mission, but we have to have other people and other companies that are helping with this. And so... you know, if you aren't self custodying your Bitcoin today, come over to our table, we'll talk to you and, and help you out. But if you are, really think about how you can start telling this story to your other Bitcoin friends or to people that you bring on to Bitcoin. And if you have ideas about how you can, we can use language as a community, I'd love to hear them and, and brainstorm about those because I think that we have to think a little bit differently than we have in the past here. And then we all have to, as a community, go out and actually work to turn this tide. Because when you help people own their own keys, you have the chance to break the cycle of repeatedly having people who think they know what's best for us come in and do something with our money. When you really own your money and actually have control over that, you own the rest of your life. And so let's help people take advantage of of all of the benefits that bitcoin offers not just the inflation resistance but also that censorship resistance because that is a critical piece of bitcoin that a lot of people forget today so um you know i think that that's really the end but uh yeah i appreciate it and if you guys have any questions um i'm happy to answer them thank you